podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our pastor, Steve Troyer, and that as you listen, your faith truly does come alive in Jesus. Okay, we're going to be looking at at 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and um, if it gets really bad, we're going to read the whole of the two books. (laughs) And um, we're just going to try our best to see what God has for us this morning. I'm hoping to pick up on a thread of something that happens within Jehoshaphat's story. Who's heard of Jehoshaphat before? Okay, so a number of us have heard of Jehoshaphat. For those who haven't heard of him, uh, I'll explain a bit of his story in just a moment. Um, Let me say this, dads in the room, your decisions that you make around following Christ, even, in fact, this is true for any one of us actually, But uh, for dads in the room, I want you to hear this for the moment. Your decisions to follow Christ and your decision to to walk in a growing relationship with Him. Now, notice I'm not saying being perfect, but one that is seeking out the heart of Jesus. One who is seeking Him out and with integrity saying, God, I know when I haven't got it right. And like we did with communion this morning. Thank you, Linda, for leading us in communion. That was great. But uh, this, this sense of, God, I recognise that I desperately need you. And there's not a person here who could say, actually, I'm okay. But each one of us would say, yeah, God, I desperately need you. But pride says within us, especially for men, pride says, God, I've got it. I don't need you. And we, might, we may not say it that way, but our actions may live out that way. And we find ourselves, uh, rather than pressing in, we actually put it on maybe, let's just put the car in idle. Or we begin to move backwards and we begin to side with some things that uh, does not build a passion for Christ in our life. In fact, it competes. And I've watched it happen over generations. We've been pastors now, we're coming up to 14 years and we've observed some, observed some things about what is true about family. We've seen uh, across the years, uh, sometimes it happens this way. Uh, uh, in life, you know, you're working so hard as a dad and uh, as a family unit, you're working hard to raise your kids. And it's exhausting when they're in primary years. It's probably the hardest years uh, of your parenting life. Is that true? Uh, for those who are, yes, I've got some thumbs, thumbs up there. It's the most exhausting because you're on, especially for mums, you're on all the time. And, uh, and then also it's the most expensive time because you've got very little in the accounts. It, you're depleting it very fast. You have negative years mostly <laughs> with your finances. And that's not always the case for everyone, but I recognise that it's one of the most challenging times. Uh, of you know your your time, and then when they come into teenage years, I've I've watched this. Some parents take their foot off the pedal a little bit. They think we've we've done pretty well up to now. Let's just um, let's just try and glide through, and uh, and so mum and dad decide. Well, we're not going to go to churches often. If we feel like we need a, a rest at home, then we're going to take the rest because we're exhausted, and they are exhausted. But as you take the foot off the pedal and your kids are coming into teenage years, what happens is 
They hear you say it's important to go to church, but then they see what you do and they call it a value. And they say, mum and dad don't really value going to church. They don't really value their walk with the Lord. And so what happens is they end up, when time comes for them to choose for themselves what they value, they choose this is not as important as what I first thought. And they start to take the foot off the pedal for themselves. And they haven't even gotten started in life. Dads, you have a big role here to play. Each of us, the way that you lead uh, in your family will determine, not always, not always the case, but it will determine in most cases whether the next generation goes forward or goes backward. And I want to uh, just declare over you, especially for young people who are thinking today, what does it look like for me to plot a trajectory forward where my life becomes more passionate for Jesus and grows intentionally in Him. I'm choosing today, before there's any uh, of the challenges of life, I'm choosing today to give myself wholly to the pursuit of Jesus. Now, when you first get married, uh, which for us is was it 25, coming up to 26 years? Um, when you get married, at, in the very first instance, you think to yourself, uh, life is easy. Like, in fact, well, you say in some ways, it's, it's actually, we've got, we're so busy. Socially, we're out every night. And then you have your first child and you can't be as spontaneous as you used to be. And then your second child and a thought runs past your mind, gee, I was so selfish before we had two children. And how did we even think we were busy? And you have three children, and then you're totally undone. Is that true? Those who've had three, yep. And then by the time you hit three, you think, well, what, you know, it, it's not going to matter now. Let's have four, five, six, or seven. So, <laughs> yeah, it's already chaos. But there's a sense of which uh, you recognise um, things don't get easier. They actually get more complicated. And then your kids, you know, in their primary years and you go through the, the time where they're asking, why, Dad? Why? Why, is it, you know, why do we have to um, go to bed at this time? And then the, the questions just keep on going on. And they're very inquisitive, of course. And, uh, but then when they hit their teens, there's... Again, there's another, a new why, but now it's pressing a little bit deeper because they're now starting to form their own uh, convictions, their own values. So dads, it's, it's such a big gig, hey, being a dad. And I want to encourage you, even if you feel like I'm not doing so well with this or I haven't done so well, uh, the way that you finish your story is far more important than how you started. And uh, your past doesn't dictate your future in Christ, His uh, future dictates your future. And so I want to encourage you, dads, if you feel like I just haven't uh, really worked out how to actually move forward, um, he's got a way forward for you. And you, just, you need other men around you to help encourage you with that because it's not easy at times. Okay, that's a way of a bit of an intro into this story. Uh, Jehoshaphat, uh, we're going to get up to his part of the story in just a moment, but let me give you a little bit of the backstory to Jehoshaphat. So you know King David, of course. He had a son, Solomon. Solomon had a heart for the Lord. He asked for wisdom. He started well, but he didn't finish well. 
He married, what, a thousand wives? Something like that. Yeah, and then concubines on top of that. And uh, with each foreign wife, they brought in another idol. And so the, um, the worship of the Lord as the one true God became diluted in some ways. The next generation being Rehoboam, he ends up um, being so divisive that the, the nation is split at that point. They have a church split. They have a nation split. Now, if you think being a dad is hard, try being a king and a dad because uh, every decision you make affects the whole nation. Rehoboam uh, ends up living a life that, that um, is considered evil. It's considered as one that he takes in a lot of the, the idols, idol worship of the nations before or around him. And, then, and he has no cause to do that like other than his dad, Solomon. He, he ends up uh, having a son, uh, I think it's Ahijah. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. And then his son is Jehoshaphat. No, Asa. I'm getting there. Asa's son's Jehoshaphat. We'll get to him in a moment. But Asa, I want to pause on him for a moment. Now, Asa, this is now the, uh, what is it? David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Ahijah. Now, this is the fifth generation, Asa. It progressively gotten worse. This is what I want you to see. Progressively had gotten worse. And then finally, uh, we find in chapter 15 of 1 Kings, and we don't have this up on the screen, but I'll just read this briefly. It says, uh, he committed all the sins his father had done before him. Isn't it interesting? It, it actually relays back to his father. Uh, his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his forefather had been. So they're reaching back to a time where it had been. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord. Can I just say, um, nevertheless, in your story, the Lord. He wants to intervene. And he says, uh, nevertheless, uh, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him and by making Jerusalem strong. And so this introduces now the next son, which is Asa. And Asa was a good king. He ended up going back to the former ways of David in certain ways. And we read, uh, I just want you to see how they described him. Verse 11, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. Not to speak of his own father, his grandfather and his great-grandfather, all of which had really walked away from the Lord. So he's reaching back to... And it's interesting, oftentimes people will reach back to generational decisions that were made. And so he's reaching back to a generational decision that David made, I'm going to follow the Lord with all my heart. And so he says, he expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. He even deposed his grandmother Maaka from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah, which was one of the gods in the neighboring nations. Asa cut it down and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of the Lord the silver and gold and the articles that he, he and his father had dedicated. 
Did I say he and his Yeah. I'm learning something myself. Isn't it interesting? His father had dedicated it too. But here is Asa. He steps in to a new era. I'm choosing the way of David. I'm choosing to devote myself fully to the Lord. No matter where your family line is, if you're the first believer in your family line, God bless you so much. Your story, you've chosen to say, yes, Jesus, I'm fully devoting myself to you. And the family trajectory that can happen just from that one moment can be huge. Don't ever put it down as being a small issue. There are generations of believers in our family and I I bless the Lord for it. I, I just am so grateful. I can look back more than eight generations in every direction and there's believers every direction I look. I'm like, man, what a great heritage. But not all of us have that. And it's okay not to have it because what Jesus can do in your life can completely turn around the trajectory that your family line was going and praise God that you've said yes to Jesus. So here is Asa. He's fully devoted his heart to the Lord and yet he's allowed little foxes into into the, no, the coop. Okay, sounds good. I'll take that. Little foxes, I'm just seeing little chickens racing around. <laughs> yeah, into the, uh, I think it's into the vineyards, isn't it? Yeah. So it's, it's really what we're saying is there's little compromises. In fact, we see another little compromise in verse 18 uh, through to 19. It says that uh, war had broken out. In fact, if you can just imagine, here's Judah, which David was um, uh, king in Jerusalem uh, and from the line of Judah. But when the nation Israel had a civil war, they broke off from Judah. And now 10 of the, um, of the tribes now have become their own nation called Israel, Judah and Israel. And so here is um, Asa and a civil war continues to actually... Uh, work its way into the nation. And Asa's in the midst of all this threat upon threat upon his nation in Judah against his own countrymen, Israel. And so in the midst of that, he chooses to look for help outside of his heavenly father. It's a small compromise, but he looks to a neighboring nation and says, would you join with me in defeating Israel? And so this king says, yes, I will. And they're quite successful. It's a successful campaign. And we don't hear much more of what happens uh, for King Asa. But what I want you to see is it's a small compromise that is made where he doesn't choose to trust in his heavenly father. Small compromises uh, begin to make room for what can be opened up in the next generation. Now, about the same time as King Asa is getting to the close of his reign, there's several kings that come through in Israel. And then we come to a king who is noted as the most evil king you could ever read about. That now is the king of Israel. And it's in the close of 
Asa's reign. So it's, it doesn't become an issue for King Asa, but it does become an issue for the nation of Israel. And this king, does anyone know who this king is? No, not Manasseh. It starts with A, Ahab. So King Ahab, and it says of him, I want you to, I want you to hear this, uh, verse 30 of chapter 16. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. So here is a, a princess of Sidon and began to serve Baal and worship him. Why is that? Because that's what they worshipped in Sidon. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. It's about this time that God raises up a prophet who you know, Elijah. Elijah uh, has some measure of success with Ahab, as does Elisha with the, the coming kings after him. But Still, they continued to move away from the Lord. And so at this time, Asa only has another three years, I think it is. And uh, he then hands on his reins to his son, which is Jehoshaphat. Now, if we want to go forward to chapter 22. Here we have Jehoshaphat. It says for three years there was no war between Aram and Israel. Uh, Israel, of course, being led by Ahab. And in verse 2, But in the third year Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel. Now, interesting to me, Jehoshaphat, uh, if you read of his story, he also followed the ways of the Lord. He was also devoted to the Lord. But he now begins to make small compromises and he now goes down, it's almost like a diplomatic kind of thing to do, to go and see your neighbouring king and to show back home in Judah, see, we've made peace with the nation that was making war with us in the previous generation. And so he goes down to Israel. The king of Israel, verse 3, had said to his officials, don't you know that Ramoth Gilead, belongs to us, and yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram. So he asked Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? Now he's getting drawn into Ahab's um, heart. Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel. Do you want to read this with me up on the screen? I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Just another little compromise. I'm going to align myself with an evil king. I'm going to, and listen, you can still hold your full devotion to the Lord in this moment still. But what you're doing is you're actually placing yourself in a position that says, now I'm locked in with the same king. Now they go to war. Elijah basically says um, to, no, it's not Elijah, uh, Micaiah, who was another prophet, 
Uh, in fact, when, when they say, let's go to war, Jehoshaphat says, we should probably seek the counsel of the Lord. Pretty good idea. He's bringing in his, um, his roots, right? He's fully devoted to the Lord. Now he's saying, we should probably listen to the counsel of the Lord. He's thinking he's doing the right thing, and he is. And so the king of Israel brings together 400 prophets, and they all start saying, you should go. You're going to win. And uh, all of them in unison, they're all together on this in unity. And Jehoshaphat says, surely there is a prophet of the Lord that we could ask. He doesn't really believe that what they're hearing is accurate. And uh, they end up finding a prophet called Micaiah. He brings him in. Now, uh, Ahab says, I'm not real keen on hearing from Micaiah. He never prophesies good for me. <laughs> and, um, and so he uh, ends up tolerating it. He hears from Micaiah and Micaiah's thinking, he's not going to listen to me anyway. So I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. Go, you're going to have victory. And he says, haven't I told you, Micaiah, not to lie to me? And so uh, Micaiah eventually says to him, um, let me read it to you because uh, I'm going to get myself muddled up here. Then Micaiah, verse 17, then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. Notice, I saw them scattered without a shepherd. It's a reference back to uh, not just Father God, but also the one that he had placed to reign on his behalf and to father the people, to shepherd them. And he had... Ahab had given up his rights to shepherd. And when Jesus comes, he comes as the good shepherd who comes to reign in such a way that you're not lost trying to work your way how to move forward, but instead you're actually leaning in on the good shepherd who will lead you forward. But here he says uh, that there was no shepherd. They were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? He continued, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this, another suggested another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked, I'll go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets. You'll succeed in enticing him, said the Lord, go and do it. So Ahab, he ends up, regardless of what Micaiah says, he just says, I'm just going to go. But because of Micaiah's words, he dresses up in ordinary clothes as though he's one of the uh, soldiers and um, goes into battle and at random a arrow um, finds its mark on him and he dies. Uh, and, and also for the king of Judah, for Jehoshaphat, he has a very near call. He almost dies himself. He only just gets away. But it was these little concessions that he gave himself to that made it so that he 
was giving himself into a position where he almost died. Okay, let's fast forward. Two kings. By this stage, a new king is in town for Israel. And uh, his name's Joram, son of Ahab. 2 Kings chapter 3, we pick up some of his story. An interesting thing, uh, while he's in Samaria, uh, he did, well, it says first, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as, his, not as his father and mother had done because they were like really up there. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal. So he's done some things to move back towards following the Lord. Now, a king from Moab started to raise up an army against him. And he says to Jehoshaphat, will you go into war with me? Do you think he's learnt his lesson? He makes another concession. Verse 7, he also sent this message to, to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? Let's read this again on the screen if we can get it. Otherwise, I'll read it. Okay, I'll read it. <laughs> I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are, my people as your people. My horses are your horses. He's aligned himself a second time. Didn't work the first time. Now, they get into this battle. Seven days they've marched and they've run out of water. And they, this is a life or death situation. And they cry out to the Lord and they look for a prophet who can speak into this Elisha is found and brought to them and Elisha prophesies you will have water and you will have victory. In fact, Elisha only prophesies that because Jehoshaphat is there and he respects the fact that he is devoted to the Lord. But for the other king, Joram, he says you're lucky that Jehoshaphat is here because I would not give this prophetic word if it was just for you. So they do have victory. And uh, even though he'd made another small concession, uh, he finds himself getting through just, or even though he was close to death again. Now let's fast forward to uh, chapter 8. Now this is the third generation. We had Asa, Jehoshaphat. Now we have Jehoshaphat's son. In the fifth year, verse 16, in the fifth year of Joram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, began his reign as king of Judah. Verse 17, he was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, for he married a daughter of Ahab. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Just pause there for a moment. Where had Jehoshaphat given his allegiance to? Ahab. Who had he diplomatically spent time with? Ahab and Ahab's son. So it seemed natural then for the next generation to hang out with Ahab's people. And so the next son marries into Ahab's line. Your small concessions no matter whether you're a dad here or not, but especially for dads, your small concessions can lead to opening the door for the next generation to totally walk away from the Lord. But at the same time, your heart for the Lord, even if you feel like you've made concessions in the past, 
If you then turn and say, God, I need you. God, I don't know how to move forward from here, but I certainly need you. Even if your kids are grown up. He will turn things around in ways that you never thought possible. It only takes three generations to fully walk away from the Lord. But it can take as quick as one generation who says yes to the Lord to make a total difference for the next line on. Amen. All right, that's about all I've got to say this morning. (laughs) I've unloaded what's on my heart. And uh, I hope that God really stirs you towards saying, God, I want to align with you. I, I just I feel that there are some people here this morning, you know that you've actually aligned with some things, even if it just seems small, but you know it's not of God. And so this morning, I want to encourage you and I want to give you the opportunity to say, Jesus, I'm choosing to lay that at the foot of the cross. I don't want to align with those small things any longer. I've tried to break the bonds that I've said yes to in the past. But let me tell you, Jesus will break those bonds in his name if you'll renounce those things and give it to him and wholeheartedly and humbly say, God, from this day forward, I'm forsaking those things. I want you. Doesn't matter whether you're a dad yet or not, whether you're a, it doesn't matter what gender you are, you can actually renounce the things that you've aligned with and say yes to Jesus. Amen. Great. How about you stand? Let's, let's pray. I wonder if uh, we were to write a story for you and the generations that followed, what would be read in those chapters? How about we just give this to the Lord? Father God, you are a good father and we thank you so much that you take us as broken people and that uh, our trajectory forward is only possible to have life through the one that you've given us to have life with, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right now, Lord Jesus, we renounce those things that has been an allegiance that we've given ourselves to. We may even be fully devoted to the Lord and yet we've aligned with concession after concession with things that are not of you. Right now, we lay those things down to you. And we declare, would you come, break the bonds in Jesus' name. Come and release those who keep on going on a cycle of not being able to see victory in an area in their life. In Jesus' name. His prayer is only as good as you draw down from the Lord yourself. And so, Father God, would you give each person just the courage, the boldness of the Holy Spirit to say yes to you. And this morning, Lord Jesus, we pray for the next generations, that they would know you, that they, their heart would be fully devoted to you, that their generations on from them would be fully devoted to you, that they would say yes to you and align only with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks heaps for listening to this week's message. 
find out more about what's happening in the life of our church and how you can join in with all the fun, head to newbindlengths.com.au or find us on social media. Have a lovely week.